This morning to worship you or to worship the Lord and, and just to be to gather, uh, gather together as a church family. This morning, uh, can I get you guys to put those lyrics back up there from that last song? Is that a is that a possibility, Martin? Is that there's a there's a, a line in there right there in the chorus? I want to remind you why we're gathered together this morning. Um, there in the beginning of the chorus, it says that we're worshiping God. We're gathered together because he's victorious, right? It seems like maybe it was one or two slides. Keep going, keep going. Here we go, here we go. Back up one more. Is this, you think this is this mic? What do you think this is? I'm trying to figure that out myself. We're trying to figure that out. We'll try this. This is the orange mic, Todd. I'm asking him, is that the orange mic making that noise? Okay, yeah. It is. We're going to shut this one off, and maybe it'll eliminate that crackling sound because I want us to be able to, to get this. Here's why we're here this morning. No matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter what's going on in our life, we're gathered because we're here to worship the God that is the only king forever. He's almighty. No matter what we're going through, we're lifting him up higher, right? Let's go to the next slide. One more. Uh, you are the only king forever, forevermore, and he is victorious. Those were the words that just came out of our mouth as we were singing and we're gathering here because we're worshiping an almighty, victorious God. And so that ought to take away any hesitation, any intrepidation, any fear, anything in our life, the, the difficult things that we're going through. Man, I know some of you have gone through some difficult things this week, but as we're gathered here this morning, we're here to worship the one true God that's victorious forevermore. So upon those promises of, of who God is, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to continue to sing and continue to worship him. And we can lay everything that, that maybe we carried in on our shoulders this morning, we can just lay it here at God's feet and worship him with an open heart this morning and, and hear from him. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we're worshiping you and that you are a victorious king, that you reign forevermore. And Father, that you're victorious, that you're in control and that's why when we put our faith in you and we put our trust in you, our salvation in you, we have eternal security forevermore because you always have been in control. You're in control today and you always will be in control, Lord. And so upon that, we can rest. We can take comfort in that. We can find our peace in that and we can be joyful in you. God, I'm, I'm thankful to be here this morning just to worship with my church family. God, help us to see who you are as we study your scriptures today, as we're getting to know you more and to grow in our faith. Father, help us to apply these scriptures that Dr. Cox will teach this morning. Help us just to learn from them and grow from them and apply them to our lives. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your goodness in our lives, for the, the way that you shower so many blessings on us, no matter what we're going through, and that you've given us another day unpromised. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
Would you stand with us and let's sing our still singing about our King of Kings? I love this song. It tells the whole gospel. Jamie's gonna sing it with us, and so y'all follow her as we sing together. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To our virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to our cradle in the dirt. Let us praise the Father. Praise the Father.
God of miracles. He's the one who made the blind to see. And he is moving here in front of us this very moment. Isn't that great? Sing this song with us. The one who made the blind to see is moving here in front of me, moving here in front of me. The one who made the deaf to hear is silencing my every fear, silencing. You got any fears today? I believe in you. Sing it to him. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. So just sing it to the Lord this morning. Sing it to Him. I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of
miracles. And we believe in you, Lord. We believe in your power of resurrection. You, you bring the dead to life, and that's not just, not just uh, the Jesus coming to life, but bringing the dead in our spiritual beings to life. You bring us, us dead people to being live Christians, ready to, to do your will and to, to be a part of your kingdom building. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do in today's service, Lord. We look forward to Dr. Cox's message. We pray, Lord, that uh, it will spur us on to do great things, that we will indeed show what a, a great miracle worker God you are by sharing with people the story of our lives and how you saved us. And so, Lord, I thank you for hearing us this morning. Open our ears to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Good to be with you, worship with you. want to welcome those who are worshiping online. So glad that you're able to join us in that format and be a part of this service, no less. So thank you for being here and, and for worshiping in your homes. I'm sharing a series of sermons on the book of Second Peter entitled Knowing and Growing. The theme of the book of 2 Peter is the knowledge of God. The question we want you to consider is, do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship with God? You can. You can know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by putting your faith in Him. And the Bible says, this is eternal life. This is, a, this is the most important thing. Do you have a personal relationship with God through repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus are you talking with Him, walking with Him, communicating with Him? That relationship with God is the knowledge of God. Now, how do we know that you can have, know God? What's the source of our belief that you can have a personal relationship with God? Well, the source of our belief is the Bible. We believe that this book is God's revelation to us. That through the writers of this book, God has spoken and has shown us who He is, what He's like, so that we can know Him. And so the devil will seek to undermine your faith in the Bible because that's the source of the knowledge of God. And he knows that that's the foundation of everything we believe, and so he shrewdly attacks the foundation and will try to undermine your belief in the credibility and reliability of this book. It's sort of like, have you ever played Jenga? Have you ever played that game Jenga? Where you have these little stacks of wooden pieces, and the object of the game is to pull one out without making the stack of blocks fall. But suppose you uh, devilishly wanted to make the block of stack of blocks fall, what would you do? Well, the easiest way is to attack it at the very bottom. And if you pull those blocks out at the very bottom, the whole tower will fall. We'll see all of our beliefs are built upon the Bible. We believe that life is sacred. We believe that God loves people. We believe marriage ought to be between a man and a woman for life. Uh, we, we believe that uh, uh, by faith in Jesus you can be saved. We believe that the world was created, not evolved randomly. We see all of those beliefs. The devil can attack your individual beliefs, but you know he shrewd. So what he just does is attacks the Bible and you begin to doubt, and it begins to shake, and the whole thing can crumble. That's his philosophy. 
So we got kids that are going off to college uh, this month, and we pray for them. And those, those of you going to college, you will encounter in college a secular worldview that seeks to undermine the credibility of the Bible, and you need to be prepared for that, and I want to prepare you for that. In secular schools and in many mainline religious schools, there's a great criticism of the reliability of the Bible. Now, college is not all bad. College is great. Many of you can find a relationship with God at college, but there'll be that, that worldview, that mindset that attacks it. I want to share with you still by way of introduction, that critics attack the reliability in, of the Bible in five areas. They're, they're in your bulletin. They're on your screen. I, I just want you, especially young people, you're in high school and you'll get jobs or go to college, go to the military, you're going to encounter these attacks in these five ways, and it'll help you, I think, just to, to know that in advance, to expect that. Number one, uh, it, critics attack the canon of the Bible. That is, do we mean do we have the right books in the Bible? The Da Vinci Code a few years ago, a novel and movie by Dan Brown, attacked the Bible in this way. And every once in a while you'll see on the news, lost books of the Bible discovered. Well, these were books, and so the criticism is, well, we don't have the right books. There were books that were hidden from us, or that are just now being discovered that contradict this. Those books were written much later. Early Christians knew about them defended the Bible against them, what we are calling lost or newly discovered books. Number two, they'll attack the Bible at the text. Do we have the actual words preserved? I encountered somebody not too long ago who said to me, oh, the Bible, you know, they changed it a lot over the years, thousands of years since its change has been corrupted. You need to know, for example, the Dead Sea Scrolls. We didn't have a text of the Old Testament earlier than 900 A.D., but then in 19... 40s when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, found text of the, of the Old Testament back a thousand years before, and they matched. Uh, the Bible has not been lost in its transmission. We have the words. You'll be, they'll attack the accuracy of the Bible. Are there errors in the Bible? And so throughout the modern era, critics have tried to attack that, and over and over, archaeology has confirmed uh, the facts of the Bible. And they'll attack the uniqueness of the Bible by comparing it to other sacred writings. Is the Bible different from other holy writings, from the Quran, from the Book of Mormon, from the Bhagavad Gita? And let me tell you, you read those, and you will not find a message of grace that there is a God who loves you and sent His own Son. You will find a message of your effort, but not of divine love and grace that you can be saved. It's a unique message in the Bible. And finally, they'll attack the Bible at its authority. And that is through relativism or postmodernism. Well, that may be good for you, but it's not good for me. I, that's not how I should live. And that perhaps is the worst attack of all. Well, I just want you to be aware of those and to understand that, that there are good answers for that. Use the same scientific method, the same critic on, on the critics that they use on the Bible. Seek for answers, and you'll find that the Bible will hold up to the staunchest of critics. It has stood the test of time for millennia now, and it is well worthy of your confidence. Well, this is what Peter talks about in our passage. How do we know this? Peter is going to go to the source of our knowledge of God, beginning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. I invite you to open your Bible there, and we're going to see Peter's 
defense of the reliability of the Bible. I'll begin in verse 12, sort of an introductory paragraph. Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. Well, that's what I do as a pastor. I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know. You know the story of Jesus. You know the Bible. But you know, it is my job to always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Verse 13 says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So Peter is aware that he doesn't have many days left. This is sort of like the last will and testament of Peter. And he says that the Lord had made clear to him how he died. You remember at the end of John's gospel? When uh, Jesus said to Peter, when you're old, they will come for you and stretch out your hands. And he was speaking of the manner in which Peter would die. He was predicting Peter's death by crucifixion. Peter knows that. And now I think it's probably 64 AD. And that means that Nero has started the persecution of Christians. Rome has burned. And Nero needs a scapegoat. And he blames the fire on Christians. And persecution has begun. Peter's probably in his 60s now. This is probably after 64 AD. Peter knows my time's short. And so as his sort of last will and testament, he's saying to us, I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. And I'm going to show you the source of this that you can have confidence in it. Verse 15, I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. That's my goal, that after my departure, you'll always remember these things. That ought to be the goal of every parent. After my departure, you'll always remember these things. So now we come to what Peter says, first of all, about the New Testament. He says the New Testament is reliable because it contains eyewitness accounts. New Testament is reliable because it contains eyewitness accounts. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow clearly devised stories. The Bible is not clearly, cleverly devised stories. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So there are some false teachers that Peter is confronting. The whole of chapter 2 that we're going to get to is going to be about these false teachers. He's anticipating this now. I think they were calling Peter's preaching and the stories of Jesus, some of them cleverly devised stories. They were saying they were myths, they were fables. You just made this stuff up. And Peter is saying, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now this word refers to his second coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus in power. All of chapter 3 is going to be about the second coming of, Lord, of, of Jesus. And so apparently these false teachers, the particular part of the Bible, the New Testament, they weren't believing was that Jesus is going to come back again. They said that's just a myth, some cleverly devised story, and uh, that he's going to come in power. And we're going to deal with that doctrine in chapter 3. And Peter is saying, this part of the story is true because we're eyewitnesses of his glory. So he says in the next verse of his majesty, 
Verse 17, he received honor and glory from the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter is referring to what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. After Jesus predicted his death, you can read this in Matthew 17 and also in Mark and Luke, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of disciples, up on top of a mountain. And there he was transfigured before him. That is, during this earthly life, the veil of the Son of, the Son of God's glory was veiled. But the veil was removed, and they got to see the real Jesus. And the Bible says that his face began to shine like the sun, and that his clothes turned dazzling white. And they saw, as he says here, the majesty and the glory of God that we're going to see in his second coming. They got a preview of the second coming. Peter says, I know he's coming in glory. I got a glimpse of his glory. I saw it there on the mountain when we were with him. And he says, I heard the voice. Matthew 17 and the other gospels say that a bright cloud came over them. And a voice spoke from that bright cloud above them. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Peter is saying, I saw it and I heard it. And I have an eyewitness testimony of these things, and I know he's coming in glory and power because I've seen a glimpse of his glory and power. Eyewitness testimony is the strongest testimony in court. One reason we believe the reliability of the New Testament, it was written by these people who were there. Eight or nine men wrote the New Testament. Three of them were among Jesus' 12 disciples. Matthew, John, and Peter. Another was an eyewitness come lately. Another apostle, Paul, saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Four apostles. Two others were traveling companions and scribes, Luke and Mark. And two others were half-brothers of Jesus. James and Jude were the brothers of Jesus. Every one of these is giving an eyewitness testimony and the Bible is reliable because of that. I remember the story that Chuck Colson told in his book, Born Again. Chuck Colson was a um, political operative in President Nixon's cabinet, and he was part of the Watergate break-in, masterminding that, where they, they were spying on the Democratic Party. And uh, Chuck Colson says that there were 10 of us who knew the secret and we agreed to keep quiet. And all we had to do, he said, was just to keep our story and uh, nothing would happen. And he said, we couldn't do it for two weeks. It began to crumble. John Dean cut a deal with the prosecutors and ran. And then Halderman and Ehrlichman and the others. And the whole thing fell and they went to prison. And, and Colson says, after he became a Christian in prison, after that experience, he was born again, and he said, you're telling me that these 12 apostles, or these nine writers of the New Testament, kept this lie and died by crucifixion. Peter's about to die. James, one of the three on the mountain of transfiguration, has already been killed by Herod. Peter's about to be crucified, probably in Rome in the late 60s, and John's going to be exiled to Patmos where as a senior adult, he's going to live alone 
and scrape by, and you're telling me, he says, that these people held together this great lie and died for it? He said, I can't believe it. He said, Watergate convinced me of the truth of the Bible and of the resurrection of Jesus. Because these eyewitnesses that Peter is saying here, we have seen his glory. They lived it. They gave up their lives for it. They traveled and preached for it, and they died for it. And this is eyewitness account of his glory. Peter goes on then to the Old Testament. And he says in verse 19 and following that the Old Testament is reliable because its prophecies came from the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament, now he moves to, is reliable because its prophecies came from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic message, and it's clear he's talking about the Old Testament prophecies here because he calls them the writings, the word for the Old Testament in just a moment. We have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. You know what that's talking about? Well, the morning star is a title for Jesus in the New Testament and in the Old. This is a reference to his coming. So uh, the morning star is going to rise in numbers. Remember old Balaam, the prophet that was hired to curse Israel, and he couldn't curse them, and he blessed them, and he said, I see it, but not now, number 17. A star shall rise out of Judah. And Revelation twenty two seventeen says that Jesus is the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. This is a reference to Jesus. He's saying you'd do well to pay attention to the Old Testament until the morning star rises in your hearts. That is, till Jesus comes back again. He says Jesus is coming back again. And this book, he says, will survive until Jesus comes back again. And you would do well to pay attention to it. Because, he says, above all, verse 20, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, no Old Testament writing, no prophecy of Scripture, came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. They didn't just make this up, he's saying. Or, verse 21, prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He is saying these Old Testament prophecies were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word carried along is for a ship with the wind in its sail, and, the, and it's driven along by the wind. And he's saying these men, they were just human, he says. They had their own personalities. Each book will be different, but they were each driven along or moved or carried by the Holy Spirit. The difference in this book from all others is it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the person of God who works in this world, worked in the writing of these ancient scriptures. Other books may be inspiring, but only one is inspired. Only one book came from God. It is this book, and he says you'll do well to pay attention to these prophecies because they had their origin in God. This is God's word to you. And so, if you are not sure about the reliability of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, I just challenge you to read the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, and you'll see their divine origin. Read Micah 5 that predicts the lineage and the birthplace of Jesus. Read Zechariah 9 that predicts 
he will ride a donkey triumphantly into Jerusalem. Read Psalm 22 that says they will pierce his hands and feet and gamble for his clothing. Read Isaiah 53 that predicts his rejection, his suffering, his death for sins, and his resurrection. Read Psalm 16 that says God will not abandon the Holy One to the grave, but he will see the light of day. Read Psalm 110 that says he will reign with all of his enemies under his feet. Read Daniel chapter 9 that speaks of him coming in glory and even gives a timetable to his first coming. It's amazing, the prophecies of the Old Testament. And that's one reason that we believe that the Bible is reliable. The devil's going to, have, going to try to knock your Jenga stack down. And he's shrewd enough to hit it at the bottom, at the basis of all our beliefs about sexuality and life and salvation and creation and all of these other beliefs. He's going to attack your confidence in the Bible. Just be aware of that. And you need to, you need to come to some confidence. You want to understand everything about it. But there is enough solid evidence. There are two ways that the Bible has evidence. Number one, it has this outer evidence I've been talking about. Fulfilled prophecy, eyewitness accounts. It also has the inner testimony that it rings true in your heart. That you know deep down that you're a sinner. You know deep down there's a God. The message of the Bible rings true. And that you're not going to be able to fix these problems. And so some help has to come from somewhere else. The message of the Bible rings true in our hearts. And so I just challenge you to come to a point of confidence that you'll stake your life on the Bible. The evangelist Billy Sunday said, I stake my life on the book. If the book goes down, I go down with it. That's where I've come to in my life, folks. I'm going to stake my life upon this book. If the book goes down... I'll go down with it. But let me tell you something, the book's not going down because Peter in his first letter wrote, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. As long as there are humans on this planet or outposts on Mars or wherever humans are, until the morning star rises in our hearts, this book, the most attacked book and scrutinized book in all of history, this book will be read and cherished as it is right this morning in spite of its critics, on every inhabited continent of the world today, there are people holding this book, opening it, finding hope and help for life, because this is the Word of God. Would you base your life, would you settle your doubts, would you say, God, I'm going to base my life on, live by this book, and most of all, I want to know you the pages of this book. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I pray for those who might have uh, be wrestling with doubts. Uh, I pray for those who go off to college in a few weeks. I pray it'll be a great experience for them. I pray, Lord, that it will strengthen their faith as it's tested. Lord, I pray for high school students who encounter these things. I pray for anybody who reads anything on the internet encounters some of those things. Lord, I pray that we uh, would come 
to do the hard work, come to a place of confidence in your word. I pray even more right now that there are those who do not yet know you, who through this word would come to say, I believe there's a God who loves me and sent his son Jesus, and I want to know him and be known by him and have the gift of eternal life. And I pray they will reach out to you right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If today you prayed to receive Christ, I hope that you'll, Jake will be at the Welcome Center after this service. I'll be getting ready for baptism in another service, but Jake will be out there this morning. And I hope he'll stop by and he'll rejoice with you. You can join our church there this morning. If you're watching online today, I want to invite you to text me at 931-808-7975. That's 931-808-7975. If you want to join our church, you can do that. If you want to pray and receive Christ, or if you just want to share something, I'd invite you to do that. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for watching. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. We serve a, a God who gives us a, 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 he's the God of angel armies who guards us before and behind as we go forth.
Ah. 